from Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Zoom Room, a youth-produced podcast where each episode we zoom into a different theme or topic through interviews and conversations relevant to us, the youth of Alaska. I'm Matt May producer Armand Lois. Youth for Change is an Anchorage-based organization that looks to address and minimize the oppression of black, indigenous, people of color within the education system by uplifting youth voices. On today's episode, we're going to hear from two of the group's members, Stephanie Martinez and Ruth Dan. They spoke with Atme senior producer Cornelius Nelson about the work that their group is doing, aspects of the education system that they'd like to address, and how America's recent reckoning with systemic racism has inspired them to get to work. They spoke on October 29th, 2020. So what could y'all tell me about Youth for Change and what exactly you guys do and what the program is about? So Youth for Change was originally um, just a meeting to um, probably address the police in the school system and um, originally trying to um, just address the education system and what's wrong with that and how it doesn't include enough um, BIPOC information really. And the mantra that we go by is we look to address and minimize the oppression of BIPOC youth within the education system by uplifting their voices, the youth voices. And so we try to get as many people, um, you know, BIPOC youth involved in our meetings as possible. Um, At least I've been trying to reach out to a bunch and we've been slowly increasing in numbers and yeah, we're working towards um, that right now. So how long have you all been involved with it and what inspired you to join it? How long has it existed now? A few months. Um, I think Charity contacted me about this group, um, Charity Rapati, and I knew her from a previous program I did um, that she did at the University of Rochester while I was a student. And I'm Central Yupik, my family is from Stebbins. I grew up here in Anchorage on Dena'ina land. And, you know, I went K through eight, you know, in the Anchorage school district. Um, and I just struggled in a lot of ways um, with representation in the curriculum, with um, marginalization, something that uh, Charity also experienced um, was that you know, some of these programs in the Anchorage School District that are sort of set up these tracks to send students to college, um, you know, they they exclude Native students. Um, And that's something that happened to me while I was going through the Anchorage School District and something that happened to charity. Um, So it was both really important to us. So I thought um, this group would be a really good way to address it. Um, And that's why I joined. Yeah, so um, the first meeting, um, I got invited by my brother, Michael Martinez, um, and we both knew Charity Rapati. Um, and so, yeah, that started around a few months ago. I'm not sure the exact date, but we've been, I've been working on it from the start and have been pretty consistent with the work that we've been doing. What really inspired me to start was um, Charity's name. <laughs> Just thinking about her as a person, she really works towards, um, you know, addressing the work that isn't shown in the education system representing BIPOC youth and specifically Alaska Native history. And so 
it sounded like a really good idea to, um, you know, do something about that, to finally take a step forward and say, we're tired of this. And so we need to make a change. And so, yeah, hence the name Youth for Change. Um, I also want to acknowledge we owe a lot to like the Black Lives Matter movement and sort of, um, I personally was inspired by, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and um, their work against police violence and state violence um, in the wake of, you know, a lot of these police killings and sort of the moment that created, you know, Black Lives Matter created. And I think a lot of um, people at Youth for Change can relate. You know, that's a big reason why I joined as well. And I just wanted to add, um, I am half Yupik and half Otomi Indian, which is a type of, um, my, my dad is from central Mexico and my mom is from um, Kotlik. So, you know, growing up with that perspective really pushed me towards joining and putting my all in this group too. Uh, when it comes to ethnicity, I'm mixed as well. My mom's half Dene, half Baskin, and half white, and my dad's half Filipino, half black. Uh, but yeah, moving on to my next question. Uh, what aspects of the education system do you see as adversity affecting BIPOC students and the overall understanding of BIPOC histories and cultures? What can be done to correct these the, those missteps? Yeah, we were um, looking at a few examples earlier in our meetings, and one example was um, a prompt that I we assumed that um, an English class had to do for finding the key events that happened in the history. And um, it was about a Lewis and Clark expedition across the U.S. and how they um, went along their way and didn't mention anything about using American Indians and, you know, for their benefit and for putting them under distress and a lot of, um, you know, brutal acts. So I don't know, just adding that statement to history, especially, would really clear up a lot of misconceptions in the education system for um, non-BIPOC people and to really bring a better understanding um, what land they're living on and the history behind it and that people like us still exist today. Yeah, I think there's a lot of issues within the Anchorage School District specifically that, you know, we're looking at and sort of, you know, inspires our work. You know, like I mentioned before, there's, you know, there's a very big disparity in like resources and, you know, access within the Anchorage School District for um, Black, Indigenous, and students of color. You know, in, in some of these, you know, more college-ready tracks. And also the inverse of that is, you know, the school-to-prison pipeline. Um, and those two things are sort of related. And then also, you know, as, as Stephanie mentioned, you know, there's a big, you know, curriculum element. You know, when I was going through the Anchorage School District, the fact that we're on Alaska Native land, um, Dana'ina land, and Alaska is on Indigenous land wasn't reflected at all in, in the curriculum. You could go through the Anchorage School District and learn, you know, very little to almost nothing about Alaska Native people. You know, there's there's definitely 
instances where you know misconceptions um, misinformation about native people and black and people of color as well in um, in the curriculum so not only do you learn very little but you may come out of the anchorage school district um you know with you know the little you do know um is is misinformation or you know not totally accurate so yeah that's that's something that we're looking into um and we sort of want to you know address that by providing more education whether you know it's pushing the Anchorage School District to do better or providing resources and, and access outside of the Anchorage School District for Black students, Indigenous students, students of color, um, because, you know, the people in Youth for Change struggled with that, you know, going through the, the school district. Um, so we want to make sure that, you know, other students don't have, you know, those same struggles. What do you think can be done to show that history of people of color is American history and should be shown? Uh, like earlier, y'all brought up the um, how we are on stolen land and how there were people here before it was colonized. What can be done to show that and to credit the people that helped? There's a few different ways to sort of accomplish that or at least improve. You know, I ideally, I want to see, you know, more Alaska Native studies, um, Alaska Native culture, um, and Alaska Native languages in the Anchorage School District curriculum itself, starting from, you know, the earliest grades. One example was I went to Northern Lights ABC School, and, you know, every year at Thanksgiving, they'd have, you know, a Thanksgiving celebration. Um, and they require all students to um, uh, dress up as a historical figure and sort of give a presentation or a speech about that figure. Um, and students were really encouraged to uh, dress up as a lot of like early American, you know, colonial leaders, um, you know, founding father type figures, you know, and a lot of those people were slave owners, um, a lot of those people committed acts of genocide against Native people, you know, and that wasn't mentioned or taught early on, you know, in our education. But every year, my mom would dress us up as early Native figures who were sort of figures of resistance against colonialism, like Metacomet or Prince Philip, who led his people um, in New England in a war against settlers who were, you know, stealing their land. For me, that's always been a really great example of how, you know, how that education could happen, you know, even in first grade, second grade, third grade, you know, when students are young, you know, there's still a way for this information about, you know, how colonization happened, about how violence happened um, to Indigenous communities to, and, um, you know, the enslavement of um, African people, you know, I think that education should be in the Anchorage School District curriculum. And I also feel like it should be available, you know, outside the curriculum as well, you know, for parents. One project that we just started is um, we're working on sort of a reading guide for the Ibram X. Kendi's 
book stamped. And we just got started on that project. It's it's going to be for the Anchorage Public Library's Alaska Reads program. And we're really hoping to use that and you know not only get that anti-racism education, you know, about the United States generally, but we want to add sort of like, you know, Alaska specific questions and contents and connections. Um, you know, I think there's a there's a huge gap in what students are learning about, you know, Alaska's history, especially in terms of uh, Native people and, you know, people of color. You know, you can go through the Anchorage School District and not know Alaska was a segregated state. You know, I really would like to see this opportunity to, um, you know, provide an opportunity for that kind of education. What are your thoughts on the situation in education and how there is the instilled racism? Like, what can be done to prevent the racist systems that have been instilled in the education system? What can be done to undo them as well as to prevent them in the future? It's such a prevalent thing in the education system, and it's it's almost like it's drilled in so deep and so it's like so secure that it's going to take a lot of effort in order to get it out. Um, and what my mom always told me is time. Time is the best thing that heals everything. So um, I know there's a lot of us who are really, you know, eager to try to fix everything all at once, but um, honestly, with time, there will be more folks that will um, take notice of it and um, maybe we can spread awareness to it and um, I'll hopefully all come together to recognize that it's a problem and that any, it, it has no place there in the education system. You know, as, as Stephanie mentioned, um, you know, it, things can take a, take a long time and we're not, you know, we're not necessarily gonna see, you know, super rapid change, but for me, I think it starts with um, with leadership. You know, we're trying, you know, we're trying to <laughs> provide that um, as youth, but I think if we could see, you know, anti-racism or decolonial leadership at all levels, I think that's, that's where it starts. Um, it definitely doesn't end there and that's not the whole equation. But I think if we had that leadership, you know, in on the Anchorage School District School Board, um, as well as within Anchorage School District administration, you know, in terms of like the superintendents and um, the principals and, and down to the teachers, um, you know, if they're providing that leadership, um, if they're setting those expectations that, you know, racism is not okay, you know, racism, um, bullying, you know, a lot of these interrelated issues, you know, LGBTQ issues as well. And then, you know, besides leadership, I do think, you know, I talked a lot about curriculum earlier. Um, I think if we had that in the curriculum, it's, you know, the more education we have about, you know, Black, Indigenous um, communities of color in terms of, you know, history and culture, you know, that humanizing aspect is, is really important. And I think it'll carry over to, you know, the students in school, including um, white students, um, 
you know, students of all of all backgrounds. You know, I think that's also a really important part of, you know, part of the equation. Are you in direct communication with any ASD staff or facility about making changes to curriculum? And if so, what kind of responses have you gotten? I know that before we, before Youth for Change was a thing, um, Charity Ruapati did um, take actions to the education system and specifically to the teachers who taught um, seminar at Service High School. I can't pinpoint exactly what she addressed, but um, that was a start to um, a really great member of Youth for Change. But so far we haven't done anything specific to address you know, the education system, but one of the things um, was a few people did attend the ASD, what is it called? You, um, the school you speak, board meeting? Speak to the school boards, yeah, 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 school board meeting. Yeah, we had a few people testify um, at the school board, and I think that's something that's part of our long-term goals is to, is to um, participate more on that level. Um, because that's really where most of the power is in terms of curriculum. So we're, we're just getting started on, on that. My mom has worked a long time with, to, you know, pushing to, for, for language education in the Ingrid School District. And that's also part of, you know, why I joined Youth for Change. And, and the response there has not been great in terms of, you know, the school administration. Um, you know, they're pretty hesitant to take action to, you know, include, you know, native language education and native cultural education. So historically, you know, my experiences and, you know, my family's experiences with the Anchorage School District hasn't been the best. <laughs> So would you say there's been like a bit of pushback from the school district? You know, not actively. It's less that they're, you know, it's less pushback and more that, you know, the Anchorage school district is just like hesitant to sort of embrace these kind of um, changes. So what are the group's short and long-term goals? I would say our short-term goal is um, what Ruth mentioned earlier about the um, the book that we're reading right now. It's called Stamped and for um, putting together a little curriculum for the Anchorage Library. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, okay. That's our short-term goal. We plan to finish that book, hopefully as soon as we can because it's really good. And then hopefully get the curriculum rolling next year. Um, we haven't, I don't believe we talked about our long-term goals as a group, but um, what I personally would like to see is more involvement for um, more BIPOC youth and for um, younger people. Because right now, I think we only have two high school students. If we could increase those numbers to um, hopefully have them continue with Youth for Change and to keep it rolling um, and to just get the word out for as many people to get involved as possible to again, with um, awareness, yeah, to bring about more awareness. Your group does weekly meetings. Can you uh, tell me a little bit about that, please? Yeah, we, um, we meet weekly, um, usually for about an hour. We'll work on different projects or, or talk about um, 
you know, events or panels that we want to do. Um, like we mentioned, we're currently working on stamps, so we'll meet weekly um, and we're just reading through the novel and sort of discussing it. We're also working on uh, story circles, creating a story circle for youth of color um, specifically. And that's just a way for youth of color to share their experiences and stories uh, virtually during the pandemic. Yeah, and it's it's right now it's a pretty small group. Um, I don't know, it's fun. It's <laughs> it's good to see it's good to see everyone every week. What have you done for community outreach? How are you spreading the word about your program? We've done a panel at Elders and Youth. Um, we did a panel in concert with um, I think it was Spirit of Youth. Yeah, so we're you know, we're doing our best to sort of participate in these events, you know, where youth are. And also, you know, we're, we're trying to outreach through Instagram as well. That's sort of our main platform for having in between meetings. So yeah, that's currently our outreach. How has America's current reckoning with systemic racism impacted you individually as well as the group? The Black Lives Matter movement has inspired me individually, definitely. And obviously, you know, I'm not Black, um, you know, so I'm looking at that from the perspective of an ally. Um, and I do think it really is incumbent on white people um, and on non-Black people to do a lot of this work, you know, anti-racism work, um, decolonization work to, you know, allies is one way to put it, to be an ally, you know, just to spend the time and the resources on these issues, I think is really important for allies. I think we all know that, you know, most people of color, most, you know, indigenous people and black people already are doing this work, you know, by extension of just being a person of color or an indigenous person. So I think what could really make a difference is, you know, allies in a lot of situations. Okay, I, I was just thinking that when I was younger, I had this thing and um, I wasn't very much younger, but it was maybe like a, a year younger or a year ago um, when I was thinking, oh, um, racism, um, BIPOC people, we don't need to make it a thing. We don't need to address it. And um, the less we address it, the less it's gonna become a problem. And so therefore people won't be, um, there wouldn't be as much attention on it as there would be. And so hopefully it would die out that way. That was wrong, <laughs> or at least I think, I think so. Um, we, need, we need allies. We need people to recognize that this is a problem and that it's more than deserving a change. It's everyone working together to, you know, recognize it and to, you know, provide resources. And on an individual level, I'm very pleased with um, the efforts that people these days, especially BIPOC youth are putting towards, you know, addressing that. And one of those ways is through our group and others that are, um, that are other small groups and other people who um, call for a change. Oh yeah, I just wanted to add, um, like you mentioned, a lot of this, you know, racism 
and violence against Black people, especially, and also people of color, you know, has always been around, um, as you mentioned, with your own experience. But I think, you know, with Black Lives Matter and, you know, the broader moment in terms of structural racism has brought a lot of that to the surface and made these kind of discussions, you know, a lot more prevalent, you know, in terms of the group and also in terms of, you know, us as individuals, I think I think we all recognize now was sort of the time to be having these discussions on how to tackle, you know, racism in schools and you know with youth um, and doing the anti-racism work and that decolonization work. Do you ever experience racism in ways that's not direct, like words such as "Wow, you're so well educated" or "You're so well spoken." or the subtle jabs like that? Growing up, my mom was fluent in Yupik and um, later in school was taught English. You know, in, in the villages, you're not allowed to speak your native tongue in the school. So yeah, she would speak Yupik at home and mostly English. But um, she said to us as she was raising us, she didn't want us to know little to any Yupik so that we wouldn't get that um, that weird accent that, I guess, comes along with that. And for being a city native, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's another thing, being called city native. I, I don't know. It's um, it's a little complicated. But um, yeah, some people will say, oh, how, how well-spoken you are. Or like, you, you um, sound very put together for a 17-year-old like a year ago. Um, I was at my dentist appointment and she said, wow, you speak very well. And she's like, I thought you were like 24 or something. <laughs> Little instant instances like that. Yeah, I think just growing up in Anchorage, you know, there's there are a lot of microaggressions, you know, against Alaska Natives, you know, in a lot of different ways. You know, you encounter people who like, you think you get like, you know, free everything and like free handouts and like, that you don't really need to work for things um, or that you have a leg up in terms of like college admissions um, was, you know, that was something I got a lot of in school, um, you know, and like the homeless, you know, houseless people, you know, that comes up a lot for, you know, for an Alaska native, they kind of, you know, stigmatize you as, you know, in relation to homeless people, um, there, yeah, I'm just, sorry, I'm just. No, thank you for sharing. Have you felt or seen any change in the BIPOC community this year? I think most of the change was started up with Black Lives Matter movement and um, more people, you know, strengthening their advocacy on Instagram or um, following those people who want to make a change, following those people who have a strong voice and aren't afraid to speak out about what they believe in and um, to really get people to get on board and use their voice as well and their um, beliefs. <laughs> yeah, with the pandemic, like Stephanie said, a lot of it, the change we're seeing is on social media and other, you know, digital platforms. That's, you know, that's what we're seeing at least. How can others get involved? Yeah, yeah, right so, now we have our Instagram page up, um, youth BIPOC for change. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's our main point of contact is right now is our Instagram page. And we're, you know, we're, we're definitely looking for more youth of color to join us and, um, you know, participate in some of the projects we have going and some of the advocacy um, that we have going. Um, we definitely, um, you know, more generally, other than joining our group directly, I think being sort of aware and involved with the local community and the education system, you know, with, you know, being knowledgeable about who is on the school board, you know, when those elections are and who's running for those elections, taking note of like what is in the curriculums and what we're being taught, you know, even as adults, but also what we're teaching to youth and just, you know, having that awareness. Well, that about does it for all of my questions. Um, so is there anything you would all like to add or say to people? Join Youth for Change. <laughs> <laughs> Please join us. We, we don't bite. If anything, we, we want to help each other and we want to help more people like us. Yeah, it just feels good, you know? I think I'd, I think I'd want to end with that. It's like, it feels good, you know, to work with other um, youth and, and see them every week. And it just feels good to, you know, do good work. That was At Me senior producer Cornelius Nelson speaking with Stephanie Martinez and Ruth Dan, members of Youth for Change. You've been listening to Zoom Room, a production of Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Kendrick Whiteman. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We want to acknowledge the Denia people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including John O'Hara, James McCoy, United Way of Anchorage, the Alaska Humanities Forum, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of the National Endowment for the Humanities or other sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also go to alaskateenmedia.org and click donate. On our website, you can learn more about what our organization does, listen to past episodes of our podcast, and find out how you too can get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Ormond Lois, and thanks for listening.